Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Monday morning, the 20th of March. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11 a.m. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The lifting of the eviction ban after the end of this month is to dominate the political agenda this week with much concern over the amount of people facing homelessness in the coming weeks. The difficulty always with the winter eviction ban, and I think it's forgotten sometimes that it was a winter eviction ban, was always to end uh, on the 31st of March, is that when you take any measure like that, um, once you lift it, you're going to see uh, a spike. Um, you hold something back for a period, uh, you're going to see a spike. And um, just putting it off to September or putting it off to January, as I think some of the opposition parties are suggesting, you'd see the same issue arise then, except it would probably be worse. Probably worse in 10 months from now. Does that mean it's impossible to put sufficient measures in place over the next 10 months to stop people ending up homeless? I don't think any honest person seriously believes um, that it wouldn't be the same issue or the same spike that would arise, except it might actually be worse in January. And I don't see uh, why uh, doing that in the middle of winter um, in January would be a good idea at all. The Taoiseach Leo Radker speaking in Washington over the weekend. Now, the argument that Leo Radker is making is that more people will become homeless if the government delays lifting the ban on evictions at the end of January next year. In 10 months' time from now, that will be the case in two weeks' time when we know thousands of people may be forced into emergency accommodation. We are working with local authorities to increase the amount of emergency accommodation available. Again, just to emphasise the number of people who have a notice to quit um, served on them can be very high. The number of those who end up in emergency accommodation is a small portion of that. It's 
just not the case that everyone who has an oath to quit served on them um, needs emergency accommodation. It's, it's, a, it's a much smaller portion. The Dáil will vote on this this week after debating a Sinn Féin motion on the issue. The Green Party TD, Nyasa Hurricane, has said she's going to vote against the government, which guarantees a tight vote because it leaves the government with a majority of just one. And there's much speculation that another Green Party TD, Patrick Costello, could also vote against the government. I'm confident we will win the vote. I can't speak for every uh, individual backbencher, but I'm certainly confident that we will win the vote. Um, I would point out that it's a non-binding motion. It's not legislation, so uh, even if we did win the vote, it actually wouldn't matter. I'm not sure Sinn Féin are telling people that, but that is the case. Uh, It's a non-binding motion. Uh, And also the motion, as I understand it, just puts off the lifting of the eviction ban to uh, January. And all you'd see if you did that is um, the same problems arising. That's the Taoiseach Leo Radker. It won't matter if uh, the government loses this vote, he says, but it may face a, a similar vote again next week because Sinn Féin is talking about tabling a second motion. And if the government doesn't change its mind on this eviction ban, uh, being lifted at the end of uh, this month. It faces the possibility of a no-confidence motion from the Labour Party. With uh, the numbers so tight, the government will be looking at the back benches and indeed the support that it would hope to get from many independent TDs. Let's speak to one of those now, Peter Fitzpatrick, who's a TD for Louth and East Mead. And a very good morning to you and thanks for joining us on the programme. Will you be supporting the government uh, on this issue? Michael, at this present time, I will not be supporting the government. Michael, I haven't made my decision. I, I looked at the whole situation there over the over the weekend. Uh, as a member of the regional group, we've agreed to meet tomorrow to have a look to see if we willing to put any members in. Uh, I'm really, really, I'm disappointed. The bottom, the bottom line is we have a crisis in homelessness, and I'm, I'm just looking at some of the comments that the teacher made over the last few days. At the moment, is he told and he says that the government hasn't turned the corner, and and what he also said was that 40% of the people in emergency accommodation are homeless are not Irish citizens. And then next you look at the Tarnashaw. He's torn around and he says that we have torn the corner. And he said the Sinn Féin are playing party politics. And then we look at Michael McGrath saying, oh, this is going to be a bigger parliament. And in fairness, Michael, I, I, I'm looking at the Sinn Féin uh, motion. And to be honest, what they're saying makes a lot of sense. But whether it makes any difference or not, well, it means that, uh, that, that there'll be more houses created around. No, it's not going to happen. My, my, my biggest problem at the moment is uh, the, the government has no plan. For the last number of years, they've been promising this, that, and the other. My, my constituency offices, the amount of people coming in this home at the moment, it, 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 it's pandemic stage at the moment. I had a lady who came into my constituency office there, and we ran around every uh, rental company in the dog. We ran every B&B and in the dog calling for Jordan. We were able to get the lady in the dog for two, for two nights. Mm. Then she had to sleep in her car for two nights. And to sleep in the car for two nights, she went up to the local guard station and told the guard that she'd be sleeping in the room with the police keeping her, you know. Then two days later, we got her in Carnivore. And with, with the Paddy's weekend, she couldn't get nowhere at all. She got back into an, an emergency accommodation there last night. This, this is absolutely and utterly wrong. We, we have a crisis. We have a problem. The government is not, not, not saying we have a problem. We need to put a plan. We have no plan whatsoever. And the, the uh, how, did that woman become, how, how did that woman become homeless? Uh, what was the reason for her becoming homeless? Uh, our marriage broke up. Our seven husband went their separate ways. Uh, he went one way, she went another way. 
uh, she went she went to her family looking for help. Her family turned her back and they, they said they'd know where to go. She was down to the local local council and in the homelessness. And Michael, I have to be honest, and I'm not being the Catholic at the moment, they've done a fantastic job. They they looked, I mean, everywhere for there's no emergency accommodation in light at the moment. And they remind me and I spoke to them, they are giving that lady a hundred euros a night to find accommodation. And she cannot find accommodation for a hundred euros. Now she as I said, she's back here for the night. She she's okay night with weddings tonight. Now we're, we're trying to search. The, the council have done everything. And Michael, and, and I said it in a doll numerous times. Is even though my emergency accommodation, I would mention it. Like 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 you know, like, to mention the Paul do a lot of good work for people. But you look at the same community, Michael. There at the moment is they do a great job. But the problem I have with the same community at the moment is. People are refusing to go to the emergency accommodation in the same community because they maintain it's drug ridden. People are trying to recover from drugs and everything else, and they're heading down to a place that they think is safe, but it's, it's worse. And a lot of these people won't go into emergency accommodation like they did. So if you go to the council and the council offer them to go to, to, their, to them places and they refuse, the council just wash their hands of them. These are addicts that's trying to recover. Quite possibly the addicts uh, ended up being uh, evicted from rental accommodation because of their drug habit or because of other problems uh, that result from that. Uh, But I suppose that's why I was asking you about the woman who has found herself in this situation, asking the guards to look out for her while she's sleeping in her car because she feels dreadfully uh, unsafe. Uh, We're not talking about somebody who didn't pay their rent. We're not talking about somebody who's dealing drugs or causing problems or burning the house down or anything like that. We're talking about somebody uh, who can and will pay their rent, but there is nowhere to to, to rent. Uh, the average rent, uh, the RTB reported across uh, the country on Friday, is close to €1,500 Euro a, a month. And as you say, that's if you can get somewhere to, to, to rent in the first place. Michael, I, I'm a TD, I'm based in dog. I know every renters, I know B's and B's, hotels. You know, I ring them up, my staff rings them up. We know them on a daily basis. There's just nowhere to go. The, the situation we have at the moment is, like, we, as far as I'm concerned, we have four problems. We have problems with renters, homeless, first-time buyers, and landlords. Like, just look, for example, the renters. Rent, there's not, there's not a bedroom to be rented in the dog. Not, not, nothing whatsoever. You know, and in fairness, I, didn't, I had a family of seven in the there last week. And they're living in, 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 in the townhouse in the dog. Seven people living in a two-bedroom house. I went down to see that two-bedroom house there last week. There's condensation in the walls. That is an everything else at the moment. Is. And we are trying to find them somewhere. It's, it's impossible. They have no choice. That family of seven has to stay in them accommodations. Now, you know, the biggest problem that we, we have with them too is there's five children involved. And the amount of days that them kids are missing going to school because of bad heads, colds, flus, and everything else. And once one member of the family gets it, I'm telling you, I've never seen the situation like it is in Ireland at the moment. Is. My constituency officer this morning will be full with people panicking over being evicted from their homes. And Michael, you know, I'm not mm. a landlord. I, I was a landlord. But I do feel sorry for the landlords here at the moment. Is. I have landlords coming into me at the moment. Is, and, and the bought houses 10 years ago. Their children has grown up. And now their children are getting married and want to move into the house. They can't get into the house. You know, that's wrong there too. The government, the, the government are, are, are blaming the, the local authorities. The local authorities are, 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 are looking for hotels and b There's nothing there at the moment. 
So listen, mm. I would love, and I'm going to ask. And that is the problem: it's supply, and everybody uh, agrees with that. Uh, but why is that the problem? I suppose is the next question. I'm not sure if you saw the mail on Sunday. It reported that the government has failed to spend a billion euro that it had allocated to housing since 2019. Well, can I ask you a question? If you had a billion euros, the government's told me buying houses. There's thousands of houses up for sale at the moment. Is. And there is families I know being evicted from the, the, the minute The minute this eviction ban comes in, or this lifted, uh, between, in the next two or three months, I'll tell you, there's going to be some mammy, some mammy here. The amount of people that's going to be evicted from the houses, and, and I, I won't call it houses, I'm going to say mm. call them their homes, because they've been living in these homes for the last number of years at the moment. Is. The kids are going to the local schools, uh, they're able to do local shopping, and this is their homes. And we, as a, as, as a country, as a government, has failed to give them the right. Everybody has the right to have a home. And, uh, and when you see the, the families coming to my consistency office there, and the kids rolling and crying, and when are we going to go, mommy? When are we going to go, daddy? You see women sleeping in cars, men sleeping in cars. The situation, the government needs to have a plan, and they haven't got a plan. And, and the, the situation with Sinn Féin is, and I said to you, I do agree with Sinn Féin motion. A lot of it makes a lot of sense. But if it makes mm. that, if, 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 if that makes that much sense, how come the government is not jumping in the bandwagon and trying to do something about it? They're sitting down the lowers. I have got no phone call so far from the government. I've got no phone call from Sinn Féin there at the moment. Is the only the only people that's contacted me is the people in Poland. And I ring the I ring the Lloyd County Council, my local authority, on a daily basis. And in fairness, they really are trying their best to help us out there. Like you know, like yep. in Lloyd, I think over a hundred vacant homes came back in the market last year. They're one of the forerunners of this situation at the moment. But I'm just saying, it's it, it's bad and it's really really. But they're really, limited. Really they're limited in what they can do. Is this the first time uh, that you'll vote against the government, Michael? I haven't said, I, Michael. I didn't say I'd vote against the government, Michael. I, I, what I said, Michael, is I don't agree with the government's going to do. I think the motion that Sinn Féin had at the moment. Michael, if you look at my record over the last... Sorry, I, thought, I, I, I beg your pardon. Oh. I thought you had said that as things no, stand... No, I, I, like I, I, can't see, I can't see myself voting with the government. Uh, I'm waiting to see what amendments the government will come tomorrow. The, way, the situation at the moment, Michael, I'm going to have no option but to vote against the government tomorrow. But I, uh, right. but I am sitting down, but I'm, but I'm willing to listen. If the government can come out with maybe some magic wand at the moment and say that A, B and C is going to be done, which I can't see happening there at the moment. Mm. I think the government's confident that they will pass. That, that they will, they will, but the, the bottom line is, this is not going to help people get homes and having it. We okay, need a plan, but we need a plan now. Well, well, talk to me a little bit more about the bottom line because there's going to be an awful lot of interest in this vote and if Patrick Costello follows Nessa Hurrigan, uh, the numbers are very tight. If the government doesn't get the support of independence, there is the prospect that it'll lose the vote. But the Taoiseach, as you heard there a moment ago, says it doesn't matter if the government loses the vote. Uh, do you agree with that? No, I think, I think the, the government are totally and utterly out of seconds with the people at the moment. And I'm not trying to say, like, we're reading that, like, I'm sure Leo Varadkar and, and, and Michal Martin and Eamon Ryan, I'm sure they do their local clinics. And, it, and I'm sure, well, they must be listening to the people because I know I'm listening to mm. people. And there is serious problems at the moment. Is. You, cannot, you cannot rent a house. It's impossible to rent a house. It's nearly yeah. impossible for, for working people to get a loan to buy a house. Uh, the homeless situation is gone completely out of control. Now and what about on, the argument, though, that the government is making that if you delay that for 10 months, if you delay people getting uh, evicted for 10 months until the end of January 2024, uh, in other words, that when you get to January 2024, uh, the situation is only going to be worse. Do you understand that argument? 
I'm not going to do it, Michael. I'm the government saying into their hand that over the next 12 months they're going to build 30,000 social and affordable homes. So will that not, will that not automatically take so many people off, off, the, off the homelessness? Like they're, they're saying one thing on the right hand and saying another thing on the left hand. But to me, they're, they're, they're completely confused in the whole issue at the moment. Well, it seems an awful long time, 10 months, uh, and gives an opportunity to try and bring about solutions. Well, they're, they're taking no solutions at the moment because, as I said, yeah, I can see I can see both sides of the fence. I can see the situation with the homeless people, and I can also see the, the, by the private landlords. Like 45,000 landlords, private landlords, have left the system in the last five years. And the reason, mm. the reason that left the system is because there's no option. Like, there's no way that, 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 that the government should be dependent on private uh, uh, landlords to look after the, uh, the, the people. It's the government, it's the, the, the government have a, a God-given right to look after these people. Like, as I said, the word emergency accommodation, there's no emergency accommodation. There's nothing available for people at the moment. And the government, right. like, there's, no, there's no hotel, there's no B&Bs, there's absolutely yeah. nothing there at the moment. But you're, 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 not, you're not fully decided at, at this stage. Well, Michael, uh, to, be, to be quite honest, Michael, is, mm. it's going to take an awful lot for me not to vote against the government tomorrow. And I just said to myself, in fairness, as I said, and Michael, if you look at my record for the last number of months, <coughs> I have voted against the government in more times than I've supported the government in the last number of months because I do think they're wrong. And when they're right, right. I will vote for the right. But my, my situation at the moment is, uh, at the moment, I have no intentions whatsoever of voting for the government unless they make drastic changes in the next 48 hours. All right, just one comment I bring to you before we say good morning to you from Peter, who says Peter Fitzpatrick is going to vote with the Sinn Féin motion on the eviction bill. You haven't actually said that, but this is the, the, the text that's coming from Peter. He says, Michael, take a look up in the sky and see if there's any pigs flying up there because Peter Fitzpatrick hates Sinn Féin. And now he says he'll vote with the motion. Oh, my God, pigs will be definitely flying. What do you make of that, Peter Fitzpatrick? Well, Michael, do me a wee favour, Michael, and uh, get your research and your programme. Look at my record for the last two or three months, and if you look at Michael, I supported Sinn Féin in a lot over the last number, number of months for the simple reason, was, Michael, I do believe what they're saying is right. And the situation at the moment is, uh, it's going to be very hard for me not to vote with the government the way, the way things are at the moment is. Like, okay. everybody deserves a home. I see, as I said here, I'm a family man. I can see uh, families coming to my constituency office afraid of the life of the next number of months. They're going to be homeless, and there's no emergency accommodation. I think the government's going to have to come out and 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 and, and, and like, I, I do agree. Like down the road, it, it, it's going to get worse and worse. But the government are saying that they're going to build thirty thousand houses in the next twelve months. Michael, an awful lot of people in homeless will have some of these houses. So I don't see any okay. reason why they can't today. But at the same time, here, Michael, is the landlords need to be protected at the moment. Is I'm not a landlord at the moment. I was a landlord. I'm not a landlord. I can see both sides of the fence at the moment. Families, families who are landlords and want to get their own families into these houses should be allowed to. But the government's okay. going to have to look after these people. Right. Well, we'll be watching the vote very closely. Uh, I'm sure people uh, will be very interested to see uh, how it pans out uh, because Michael, there's Michael, a, a lot Michael, of strong feeling. Michael, I don't, uh, Michael, one thing to so, Michael, that, I think the word that that person used, hate. I hate nobody, Michael. Uh, I okay. respect anyone, anyone involved in politics, Michael. I have nothing but respect for people who put their hands up and are willing to get involved in politics. I think that that person, the word they use, hates anyone. Does nobody hate anybody, Michael. All right, Peter, we leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, that's Independent TD for Louth and East Mead. Peter Fitzpatrick. 
Members of uh, the Forces Trade Union working across uh, the three hospitals in County Louth have voted by a huge majority. 98.4% of members have voted that is in favour of taking industrial action. This includes up to strike action. Let's speak to Lynn Coffey, who's Assistant General Secretary with Forza. And a very good morning to you, Lynn. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Your members are frustrated at the end end of uh, their tether, it would seem, uh, because of uh, the pressure that's on them because of a, a shortage of staff. And they say that it can't go on. That's right, Michael. And um, thank you very much for the invitation to come on to your show this morning. Um, I'm happy to be here to be able to talk on behalf of the members within Forza, who, as you say, are at the end of their tether at this stage of the game because we have tried numerous of different avenues to get management to replenish um, vacant posts and to um, to look at the increased needs and business needs as cases continue to rise within the hospitals. Um, and then that was without the Navin reconfiguration um, that happened there in December of last year as well. So it's been a bit of a perfect storm. Um, there's vacancies that are already there. There's increasing in footfall coming across the door of the hospital. And then we had the Navin uh, reconfiguration with the ambulance bypass. So it's more work and less staff. Absolutely more work and less staff. And, and I mean, we're talking about, um, you know, the actual vacancies. It also represents the health and social care professionals within the hospital, as well as the administration staff. Um, within the health and social care professionals, um, there's approximately 46 actual vacant posts, but 32 of those actual vacant posts are represented by forces. Um, so it, although they may not seem like big numbers, they have huge effects on case on cases um, and the caseloads that they can carry there. Mm. So yes, it, it is having a huge effect. And then within the um, administrative stream, there's approximately 20, again, across the hospital. One third of them are in the ED service. So the ED service has been run at very, very low staffing levels. They have had to, some of the staff there have had to work through their breaks. They are um, expected to do chart running around the hospital after 5pm when the other um, clerics have gone home. They are yeah. at an entry grade of a grade three um, and expected to carry out much more duties than a normal grade three would. They, um, it's at this stage, Michael, it's, you know, a health and safety and welfare concern. There is concerns in around um, the working time directive and people being able to get their breaks. People feeling that they can't leave the counters because there's only two and that the, you know, the queues going out the door in the ED there over the last number mm. of months have just been crazy. Well, we all know um, it's a very busy emergency department. And you say that the fault for all of this lies at uh, the door of management. Uh, ha- have these 46 positions been advertised? No, not all of them. Um, they have to go to um, employment committees and some have passed, some haven't passed. We have waited for advertisements for a serious uh, recruitment. We have seen other um, professions within the hospital have dedicated recruitment drives that have worked very well and they are needed and they are very much needed across the hospital in the other grades as well as the HSCP grades and the um, clerical admin grades because it can be seen that when they have a dedicated recruitment drive that that actually works. They had an on-site walk-in 
recruitment for nurses there before the Christmas and it worked really, really well. And I can't see why they can't put that same dedication into the other grades that are needed as much in the hospital as every other grade. I mean, it's every that's an interesting in the point because that's needed to be there. Okay, that's an interesting point, Liam, because I'm sure you've heard it a million times uh, how people give out about the uh, amount of administrators uh, that there are working in hospitals. You said there's uh, 20 uh, administrators, that the emergency department is short 20 administrators. Uh, uh, But but, but without those people, I I presume that the emergency department couldn't operate and that if you take the ultimate decision to withdraw your labour and that you take your uh, members out of the workplace, uh, that the hospital will grind to a halt. Exactly, exactly. And they cannot work without these people um, to support them in their work. If you don't have the administrative grades, then who are going to, you know, assess the people as they come in, who's going to take their details, who's going to take their money, who's going to pass them on to the triage, you know, who makes sure that the queues are there, who needs to be seen immediately is seen immediately. Um, They're the front-facing person of the hospital as people come in. They're front of house. And they they are very dedicated in the work that they do. But what I'm being told is that not only um, are they on their knees, but there's people starting to leave. We've lost one again last week. Um, some people have left to go to other ED departments in other in other counties because they felt that they were treated better, and because they're much more better, uh, robustly staffed. They can manage um, in other hospitals whereby if somebody rings in sick, that they don't need to look to the existing staff then to to take on that role. Um, because they are filling the vacant posts within Drogheda themselves, you know. So they're mm-hmm. doing it through overtime, they're doing it through um, the, the rosters uh, being so, they're, they're not robust enough for, to allow for a sick leave um, to be accommodated. So if you have right. a, a roster that's, that's robust enough to allow for that, it means that you have a couple of floating people on, on the roster. I mean, FORSA have come to management with a number of solutions to the problems that are there but the main solution is the recruitment drive needs to happen they need to robustly fill these rosters so that they can allow for you know absences that are going to happen in any workplace particularly within a healthcare setting but we're okay. in a situation now michael where the shortage of staff is not only putting their their health and safety and the welfare of the workers at risk but it's also putting patient safety at risk if you don't have these rosters completely you know robust you're going to have slippage and that's going to cause damage within the patients coming across the coming across the door also and I understand that Forza has been raising this with uh, management since last summer and that it's not exclusive to the Lourdes Hospital it's the three hospitals it's in the three hospitals now. that's yeah. right and this is not the first time that this has happened if you go back to 2019 um, Forza had to raise this again with management there and again like it's just slipped back down since then so it's not the first time that this has happened and it just seems to be a team that goes through that, you know, that they will look at it and they will sort some of it out and then they will allow it to slip again. I mean, we can't be seen as the poor cousins um, yeah. within the hospital services. Every person that's in that hospital that works there has a purpose to be there. and they're, Just they tell are me needed. a little bit about the... Just tell me a little bit about the extra workload uh, that uh, the members in the Lourdes Hospital have had to take on because of uh, the change in Our Lady's Hospital in Navan. Was that negotiated with your members? It wasn't. What happened there was that um, we were called into a meeting to be told that this is happening. Now, we were waiting for a report that was meant to be with the minister. Um, and ordinarily, a report like that would come to the staff panels or, or the, the unions to be able to 
you know, uh, give comment or observation or make suggestion on a report. So that would ordinarily happen first. That didn't happen in this instance. And what happened was, was that we were just informed rather than um, negotiations or engagements happening. We were informed that this was happening on a certain date. Now, the date was pushed out by two days, but that was mainly due to the fact that there was actually an ambulance strike up in the up in the north of Ireland at the time. So they wanted to um, make kind of accommodation for that strike that was there uh, in case there increased numbers across the, the counties there near the border. So yeah. what happened there was we were informed that this was happening. We opposed it. We had meetings. We asked for um, added resources to be put in. They weren't put in um, on the force grades. They were put in, I believe, with the nursing grades. I think there was uh, 14 new nurses put in to accommodate it and ICU nurses. Now what's happened is that the health and social care professionals, they have to make a judgment call on what's the priority of their existing case, a case coming in through their own door or the case that's coming through the Navin bypass um, because they don't have the added staff to be able to accommodate that. So they are finding themselves stretched more and more and more trying to service people who are entirely in need of this service. Um, okay. And they're the ones that, that are, you know, are put at risk then as well. Yeah. These are well, registered a, professions. Yeah, so there's a, a, lo- a lot of people ha- have been looking uh, to get sight of uh, that report, which uh, the minister hasn't uh, published uh, for no. many months now, despite receiving it. Uh, what what happens next, Lynn, in terms of the industrial action uh, that you're planning across the three hospitals? Well, what's happening next is that I'm meeting with management on Thursday, um, myself and um, management will meet next Thursday, and I will be going in there with the ballot in my back pocket at this time. And at least this time I will be able to strongly say to them that there has been an overwhelming response to this um, ballot and that we will take industrial action, and if that means going up into including strike action, Forza will support that. And that is what we will do, unless we start to see some real action and some real measures put in place that will give real results for our members on the ground, not token, um, not token results as in, that, you know, we'll, we'll get one or two staff into cover or we'll, we'll change the rosters around a little bit to increase people's workloads. We need some real action on the ground now and we need to be able to see some real results from management there across the three hospitals to say that they are, are serious about holding robust staffing teams amongst the HSCPs and the administrative grades and that they will continue to hold them, that it won't be just a token as what happened back in 2019 and slippage to them was allowed to happen within these grades. That will not be happening again. Lynn, thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Lynn Coffey, Assistant General Secretary of the Force of Trade Union. Michael Reed on LMFM. As a great-great-grandson of the Bluets, of County Mayo, and several are here today. And the Finnegans of County Louth, who boarded coffin ships across the Atlantic more than 165 years ago. As a proud son of Catherine Eugenia Finnegan Biden, I wish you all a very, very happy St. Patrick's Day. That's the President of America, Joe Biden. Let's speak to Paul Allen, spokesperson with the Irish for Biden Committee. Good morning to you, Paul. Thanks for joining us. The President is expected to, to visit Ireland, I think, around the 17th of April. I'm not sure if you felt like me, a little bit worried there when he mentioned the blue. It's a mayo, but he didn't let the good people of County Louth down and went on to mention the Finnegan's, of course. Uh, will we see the president, do you think, in the coolies when he does come to visit? 
Hello, Paul. No, <laughs> uh, we appear to have a, a problem with uh, the line to Paul. We'll uh, try to re-establish that and uh, come back to that in a, a moment, uh, which gives us a, an opportunity to bring you some of uh, the comments that have been coming to us. Uh, a few people in touch with us already today uh, about uh, the housing crisis and the ban on evictions and how the uh, ban is going to be lifted at the end of the month, which everybody, government included, expects will result in a lot of people, whether that's hundreds or thousands, of people uh, facing uh, eviction. Uh, time for the government to be evicted as a result of all this, says Marie, who has sent a text to us. And thanks for your text uh, this morning. Uh, another text from Paddy Duffy, who says, if the government has confidence in its own strategy, well, then he wonders um uh, my screen's gone <laughs> moving on me. Uh, beg your pardon. Yeah, Paddy says, uh, if the government has confidence in its own housing for all policy, then it would stand to reason that if the eviction ban was extended for two years, there would be 60,000 plus new houses available. Uh, and the Taoiseach is just being populist uh, to his voting demographic. The greater good has always got to come first, says Paddy. Thank you indeed for your message. If you'd like to make a comment on the programme today, you can phone us on 0419832000, text or WhatsApp, 086-1800-658 email michael at lmfm.ie I believe we have Paul Allen back on the line as I say Paul is a spokesperson for the Irish for Biden committee and a very good morning to you Paul and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme mentioned there from uh, the president of the Bluets in Mayo but of course he went on to talk about uh, the Finnegan's uh, do you think that we can expect to see President Biden in the coolies uh, when he does come to this island well, yes, indeed, uh, Mike. Good morning. Certainly uh, on St. Patrick's Day, uh, as President Biden stood in the Rayburn Room on Capitol Building, he said, as a proud son of Catherine Finnegan Biden, um, part of his soul, uh, he certainly spoke passionately about his interest in Ireland. Uh, and to my hero, JFK, this man is more Irish than we'll ever have a U.S. president. He's a proud son of, uh, of County Loud and of Mayo, but certainly mm. he's determined to come and visit um, during his day, which is believed to last about between five and six days. Uh, if I may mm. say, no one really knows what's going on at the moment. Um, the uh, balls are very much in the air. Um, since the president came back, when he was vice president back in 2016, the world has changed dramatically. Uh, we see the financial worries this morning. We see a war in the Ukraine still continuing. Um, and security will be very, very tight. Um, his plan is to come to Belfast. He'll fly to Belfast. Um, and one source says to me he will fly to Belfast on Tuesday, the 18th of April, um, and then he'll travel to Dublin. He plans to spend five days. So I assume if he's coming down the road, he might pop in. Um, and he speaks so proudly of Lily Finnegan's and mm. the time he was there. Um, I'm sure the kettle will be on anyway, Paul. There's no doubt well, about absolutely. that. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And, mm. and uh, if I may just say, in terms of our organization, the Irish for Biden, it was very much a community-based organization with uh, Emma Coffey, Senator uh, Aaron uh, McGrehan and uh, Andrea Kevitt, um, McKevitt, who is basically the fifth cousin of, of President Biden. And I hope this evening uh, at the council meeting, they'll get a chance to put some constructive thoughts together because um, it'd be important if the president is coming. Uh, we certainly should have that narrow water bridge that unites the Mourne Mountains mm. uh, with the Cooley Peninsula. That would be a beautiful idea. Uh, now, obviously, it's a big construction project, but it'd be terrific for Loud County Council to get right behind it and name it after President Biden.
Yeah, there's a lot of speculation that may be the case. Uh, if he does come to Loud, like anywhere else he, he visits, uh, there'll probably be snipers on rooftops and public drains will be welded shut. Yes, possibly, but certainly Eamon Thornton will be going around in this white van uh, that cap- captured the imagination of the world. Uh, Eamon had a, bra- a, vanded, a, a branded van that he travelled um, and he still has it. So he'll be dusting that down and driving that around uh, the Cooley Peninsula to encourage the media around the world to uh, watch out for the trip that's going to happen early April. OK, around the 18th of April, you're hearing, uh, of course, yeah, uh, the, the 25th. The, the situation at the moment, as I said, there's a lot of things in the air. Um, the King of England, uh, King Charles, will host a, a dinner in Hillsborough Castle. That's all to be confirmed. Um, and obviously the Northern Assembly is expected to return but is it going to return for photographs or is it actually going to come return for substantive business issues that the people in Northern Ireland want? So that's in the hands of Geoffrey Donaldson. But Geoffrey Donaldson is going to obviously mm. delay it until May, until his local elections. Um, there's no reason to, to, to do it. Um, President Clinton and Hillary Clinton will be in town um, in, on the island of Ireland for a, about a week. They're going to fly in and go to Queen's. But they're obviously going to spend time in Dublin and around the rest of the country. Um, Joe yeah. Kennedy III, the uh, Northern Envoy, he's also going to be in town in relation to that. And let's not forget about uh, Loud's uh, ambassador to the US, Geraldine Byrne Nathan, who's done terrific work. So it's very much in her hands in relation okay, well, the to 20, encouraging. The 25th anniversary of uh, the Good Friday Agreement falls on the 10th of April. So the visit will be in around a week after the actual anniversary. But that will be the focus of uh, the visit, uh, given the stalemate that there is in Northern Ireland's politics. Uh, will that be embarrassing for the president, do you think? Well, that's why there's no confirmation being made at the moment. Um, but also it's President Clinton's uh, swan song himself, uh, Bertie Ahern and Tony Blair, along with the northern politicians, uh, pulled the peace process together after um, a lot of sleepless times and a lot of sleepless hours. So it's essential that um, they get a chance. And let's not forget, it's a chance to also thank George Mitchell for his tireless work uh, in terms of the peace process. So President Biden is, I'm sure, incredibly aware it's, it's Bill Clinton and Hillary's work with the politicians, uh, men and women, um, of the island and, and, and the UK who pulled this together. Um, and mm. that's the sort of thing that's happening at the moment. So, uh, Indeed, President thing, Biden but, made it very clear over the weekend what he wants to see happen, didn't he? He did indeed. He did indeed. Um, but I, I think that's kind of somewhat falling on deaf ears. Uh, President Biden is determined to come here in and around that date. Um, but, you know, God willing, that the northern politics will, will sort itself out. But I can't see the unionists sorting things out pre-May. I think it's in their interest to drag it out as long as possible. All right. Well, you mentioned uh, how Mr. Biden is an Irish-American, an Irish-American president now uh, when he comes to visit. Uh, It's the first such visit in 60 years since John F. Kennedy's visit in 1963 that you mentioned earlier. How will that be received in the United States? I think it will be terrific. Um, There was also talk of Barack Obama uh, somebody was contacting me the weekend saying they're hearing that Barack Obama is also going to come in. Okay. Um, I, 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 I discount that. I would just think that's just maybe uh, somebody slightly getting carried away with what's going on. But I think it's an absolute great opportunity uh, should Joe Biden decide to run uh, for the next term of, of president of the United States to have uh, the backing of the Irish people. Um, the Irish lobby is still enormous in North America. Um, thank goodness. And you only have to see 
um, the wearing of the shamrock uh, in relation to the last couple of days in all great places uh, in, in Northern Ireland. Uh, sorry, in, in North America, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Indeed. Paul, I have to leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, good to speak to you as always. Paul Allen, spokesperson with the Irish for Biden Committee. Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. Now, if you're over 65, you live in County Louth and you have two or more chronic underlying illnesses, uh, you may be very interested in the next item. Let's speak to Dr. Julie Doyle, who is uh, the director of Network Casala at DKIT. And a very good morning to you, Dr. Doyle, and thank you indeed for joining us on the program. You're looking to hear from people over the age of 65 who have underlying illnesses. uh, And this is part of a a project uh, that uh, you come together with Trinity College uh, and Home instead, as well as CareDoc. Tell us a little bit more uh, about this project. Morning, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Um, Yes, the the project is called uh, Thorough. And basically what we're doing is we we, um, are running a trial at the moment where we are asking people um, who are 65 and over, as you said, with two or more chronic conditions uh, to take part in a trial to test some uh, new technology that we have designed and developed in DKIT. So back in 2016, we would have started this research. Um, We built a a system, I suppose, that allows people with these chronic conditions to self-manage their health and well-being at home. So, for example, they can take their, their blood pressure, their blood glucose if they have diabetes, they can track their activity levels and their sleep. And we've built an application for them to be able to view this information and to look at it over time and basically to try and manage and stabilize their health and well-being over time. And what we found with the, we, we ran a trial in Loud again um, back in 2019 and we had 60 people aged 65 and over taking part in Loud. And we found that you know people really engaged with the technology and they actually found great benefits from it. So what we're mm. doing now is um, we're, we're scaling that up. Um, we've refined the technology a little bit based on feedback, and we are now looking to see, you know, well, does, does this technology actually help improve people's quality of life? And does it, for example, you know, reduce the amount of hospitalisation a person might have? Um, you know, does it allow them to stay at home and live well, longer so, independently? Well, that, that's fantastic. Uh, so you want to help people to help themselves to continue living independently uh, with uh, these chronic conditions. Uh, you want to hear from people who are over 65 uh, uh, who don't have dementia. I think that's uh, important, isn't it? Yeah, so we, 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 we were interested, we, we need people to be able to give informed consent, so, you know, to understand what they're, what they're undertaking, um, I suppose. So the, the conditions that we're looking for and that, you know, we're, we're interested in are people who have two or more of diabetes, heart failure, a form of heart disease, for example, including, you know, high blood pressure, hypertension, and um, a chronic respiratory disease such as asthma, COPD, bronchitis. Um, so those are the conditions that we're looking at at the moment. Okay, and if you do hear from people and they fit the criteria, what happens next? Um, so we will we will give them a call, and um, you know we'll walk them through. We give them a lot more information um, on the project to see if they are interested in taking part. If they agree to take part, what we do is we will split um, people up into one of three groups, and um, two of those groups will get the technology, and one group won't get any technology. And the reason for that is because we're trying to compare you know, how well the technology works for people compared to people who are just going through sort of usual care. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're trying to see, you know, does this technology make a difference compared to, um, you know, your usual care? 
Um, so that's um, why some people won't get the technology. Um, but we will walk people through, um, you know, who, who's getting to technology, who's not. If they do get technology, um, the important thing is, you know, we provide full training on us and, and support. You know, we have a help desk number that people can call. So you don't really need to be familiar with this type of technology to, to agree to take part. And um, we'll give you all that training. Um, and then there'll be some questionnaires and, and interviews that we'll ask people to do as well, just so we can understand their experience of being involved in the in the trial. And we're asking people to take part for um, approximately six months. Right. Now, it sounds um, very much like personalised care. I'm sure a lot of people would see that as a, a great opportunity. Yeah, very much. Um, I mean, the, the technology is personalised to the conditions that the person has. Um, you know, so if they have diabetes, they will get education pertaining to diabetes, um, you know, as well as being able to track their, their blood glucose as well. And the same with the, with the other conditions. Mm, okay. It, it sounds expensive as well. Will it cost people? No, no, no. We, we were able to cover the costs uh, through the research funding that we have. So we will provide all of the technology uh, to, to people, um, okay. depending on what they need, yeah. As I say, I think there probably will be interested uh, people listening to us uh, this morning, living in County Loud over the age of 65, who don't have a dementia, who have two or more uh, conditions such as diabetes, COPD, asthma, heart failure or heart mm-hmm. disease. Uh, exactly. And, yeah. uh, they can get in touch with you. There's a, a telephone number and a, an email address, which I'll read now, but people okay. can also get in touch with the radio station uh, and we can put them in contact with you. Uh, the telephone Perfect. number is 042-937-0296. That's Dundalk, mm-hmm. 042-937-0296. Or email Suru, which is S-E-U-R. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Oh, Euro with an S at the front. S-E-Euro, E-U-R-O at D-K-I-T dot I-E. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme today, Dr. Julie Doyle, Director of Network Casala at D-K-I-T. Now, we're going to go to Kloshta Nahinch in Bettystown next uh, for 
the 175th anniversary of the Irish flag. Uh, at least uh, that was uh, the celebration in uh, the school on Thursday. And James McAlerney was in the school speaking with the principal. We can hear a, a little bit of that now. So I'm delighted to be joined here now by uh, Ineen uh, Flood, the principal of the school in Clostaghinche. So we're after having a wonderful ceremony to raise the Irish flag uh, outside the school building, of course, 175 years since it was first raised in Waterford by uh, Thomas F. Maher. Um, Ineen, I might start with yourself. As you know, better than anyone, our school community here in the Clostagh, a very diverse space with staff and students from a range of different cultural backgrounds, including those who have joined relatively recently from Ukraine. But bearing in mind the meaning of the flag and its importance in terms of belonging, and uh, it's, I suppose, its sense of uh, bringing together people from different backgrounds. How important is it for our own school community here in East Mead that the message of belonging and mutual respect from people from different backgrounds uh, is certainly... How, how important is that in our space here? Well, probably the most important thing is mutual respect for each other and we would fo- try to foster that every day of the week here in Colossian Hinche, mm. you know, fostering good relationships between students, between staff and students, between uh, teachers and, and parents. Uh, so really, it's probably one of the most important uh, th- things about the school. Absolutely, and I know it's a, we put a big emphasis on in our broad OV and our Jafkas as well, which is the school motto, and I'm thinking of the Real Dolish as well. I'm sure it certainly speaks to that, and there is mutuality in that. Absolutely, absolutely. Like broad is pride, and here today, certainly all of us who are at the ceremony could feel that pride in, in our flag today. Ulvian then is, you know, your ambition and Jarfuk then is positivity. So there are three cornerstones here in the school and uh, I suppose, you know, today that was really demonstrated. Right, uh, that's uh, the principal of Kolosha Nehinch, uh, Eilish Flood, speaking to James McAlerney. Let me bring you some more of uh, the comments that have been coming to us uh, today. Quite a, a number of people in touch with us following uh, the interview at the start of the programme today with uh, Peter Fitzpatrick, TD. John in touch with us. And thanks for your call, John. John says he cannot see a situation whereby Peter Fitzpatrick will ever vote against the government. He's still a Fine Gaelor at heart despite his departure from the party. Time will tell. It'll be uh, an, an interesting vote for exactly that reason, John. Uh, Pat in Atboy called us uh, as well about that interview, and he says it wasn't surprising to hear Peter say that he can see both sides of the argument. He, he, he should have a great view, uh, Pat says, uh, of both sides of uh, the argument from that fence that he's sitting in the middle of. Thank you indeed. Very cynical callers of the programme. Uh, as usual, we'd be disappointed if it was otherwise. Uh, we'd uh, another call from Peter who says he's heard media reports that Garda resources are going to be made available to help in the bid to defeat Putin. And he wants to know how this can be happening. Uh, because we're always hearing uh, of all sorts of stories. I'm not sure uh, where you heard that, Peter, uh, or or what uh, is the thinking behind that. Uh, But thank you indeed uh, for your call to the programme, as always. uh, And thanks to everybody who's been in touch. If you haven't been in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 041. 983-2000. 983-2000. That's 041-983-2000. If you'd like to ring us and tell us what's on your mind, you can also text us. Uh, it's the same number if you want to send uh, an SMS or if you want to WhatsApp us. 
086-1800-658. That's 086-1800-658. Do tell us uh, what uh, you're thinking about some of the items we're covering, or if you want to raise an issue with us, uh, we'd like to hear from you as well. As I say, 086-1800-658. If you want to text or WhatsApp us, and you can email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, Revenue has been writing to people about unpaid local property tax, but the Irish Daily Mail is reporting uh, this week that they are writing to people about unpaid local property tax, and they're suggesting that they're going to contact people's employers because they haven't paid their property tax, but they're sending these letters out to people who have actually paid their property tax. Let's speak to Labour TD for Louth and East Mead and Labour Party spokesperson on finance, Jed Nash, who's on the line. A very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us. This has been causing some upset to people. It has, uh, and uh, I, I, it was first brought to my attention actually by the... Um by reporter in the Daily Mail uh, last um, Friday, uh, who explained to me what happened, and he actually very helpfully sent me on some screenshots uh, of uh, some of the letters that people who've been in contact with the Daily Mail had had shown them. Uh, nobody, Michael, ever wants to receive uh, a letter of any description from the Revenue Commissioners, from the taxman, and this certainly is a, a terrible letter to receive. Um, it's quite severe in terms of the language that it uses. It spooked many, many people who, as you say, have actually paid or made arrangements to have their property tax paid. There's a number of different ways of paying your property tax. Uh, you can decide before the end of each year which way you want to do it. Uh, you can set up a direct debit. Uh, you can uh, have it taken out in, 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 in you know, 12 um, equal proportions and uh, spread it over the year. Um, to that source uh, through your employer or you can pay it in a lump sum. many different ways to pay it. And this is quite severe in the language that's been used and anybody who decides to pretty much go straight to your employer and identify to your employer uh, that you may be uh, not, you know, maybe on the wrong side of the tax man is not yeah. where you ever want to be. No, you wouldn't want that. Maybe I should read out a, a little bit uh, of uh, the letter that has been sent to people. It says, Revenue records, I beg your pardon, revenue records show that you have not met your payment obligations in respect of uh, this property, a liability of whatever the amount remains outstanding. I serve notice that if you do not pay the outstanding amount within 14 days from the date of this letter, I will issue an instruction to... LMFM, let's say, to deduct the charge in equal instalments from payments to you over the rest of 2023. Interest will also be charged on outstanding liabilities that if you have not filed your LPT return, you will be liable to additional penalties as provided for by Section 146 of uh, the Act. Now, that's a, a fairly strong letter by anybody's standards. But if you've been paying your property tax, you can understand why people are upset about it. That's absolutely it. I mean, that's what that's what's riling people. Uh, people who are tax compliant, people who say they are tax compliant, who've set up direct debits or uh, alternative ways of, of paying it. So when it was initially when it was initially brought to my attention, I assumed that this was a, a affecting a small number of people. But it seems from reading the piece uh, that appeared in the Daily Mail that it affects quite a number of people. So what should revenue do now? Firstly, uh, they should establish uh, the correct position. Uh, they should apologise to the people concerned, withdraw those letters and make a public statement about what went wrong. Because clearly the people involved here have paid 
in whatever way to direct debit, uh, direct deductions from employers, whatever the case might be, they've made arrangements to pay. The money actually, as one uh, uh, individual who spoke to the Daily Mail said, the money's been taken out of their account uh, through direct debit you know, each month, when, I'm assuming when they get paid, or I think actually with the direct debit, it involves the 15th of each month, um, the 15th of each month is when it's taken out, uh, if that's how you decide to pay your local property tax be in compliance so they need to establish the, the truth here they need to stop spooking people and, and to apologise alright uh, I mean, what happens to... here as well Michael what happens here yeah. as well I mean for example I mean you could you could uh, at some point during the year um, require a tax clearance certificate uh, maybe for your business or, 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 mm-hmm. or some other transaction and they could withhold your tax clearance certificate if they deem you not to be in compliance so and obviously nobody wants to have to pay interest, even though it might, might be a relatively small amount, because the property tax in, in an international context in Ireland is, is quite modest. But at the same time, uh, nothing is modest these days with the cost of living crisis we're in, where every single cent counts. OK. Uh, I want to talk to you about uh, the eviction ban. Of course, uh, we're going to have a, a vote in the Dáil on that this week uh, when Sinn Féin will call on government to extend it out past the 31st of March. But your leader, Ivana Bakic, has written to the Taoiseach uh, and suggested to him that he, he do just that, but has gone further and said that if it doesn't happen, that on Wednesday of next week, Labour will bring right. a motion of no confidence in the government. Yeah, the situation is absolutely uh, dire, uh, Michael. I, I, every, uh, I'd say 60 to 70% of all of the cases that I deal with now in my constituency office and uh, in our clinics is to do with housing. And we have had so many people contact us over the last uh, few days, especially uh, very worried about what the future might hold. And I took a look, as I do um, most days, in fact, on the daft.ie website to see how many properties might be available at any given time to rent in County Loud. And just to put this in context, there are four properties today available in the town of Drogheda to rent, and some of them cost about €2,500, €2,500 per month. So we're in a real crisis here, and the government five months ago, uh, at our insistence and the insistence of other opposition parties, introduced the eviction ban on a five-month basis. And the assumption then was that they would introduce mitigating measures to try to deal with some of the problems that were creating the issue in the first place. In other words, a lack of supply, um, you know, the idea of freezing rents for a period, uh, revising their own targets in terms of the number of homes that we built. We believe that they're far too low, but absolutely no mitigation was put in place. And they didn't use any evidence whatsoever, no evidence whatsoever, to inform the decision to uh, end the um, prohibition on evictions that will come into effect now the 31st of March. So we're going to have an absolute flood, an absolute flood of evictions uh, imposed on people over the next few months between April and June. And there is nobody for anybody, no no place for anybody to go. And this is the problem. They did not use those five months productively to introduce the kinds of things that we said they should do. What are they? It's the ramping up, for example, of the tenant in situ scheme. This is where a local authority can buy a home if a home has been sold and the tenant who may be in receipt of HAP and was on the housing list for a period of years, you know, they, that, that, that property could be bought. I've worked with Loud County Council on a number of those transactions over the last period of time. They take a long time. I mean, only seven tenants in situ arrangements were actually mm. put to bed in January, February in Dublin City Council area, right? Even though government are saying local authorities have the freedom 
to, to do this. They have only bought, for example, a very small number of, um, say, the Dublin local authorities, a very small number of properties over the last um, last period of time uh, to actually house people. You know, stock that's actually available in the market. 13 homes out of 460, I think it is, have been purchased and um, you know, properties that have been advanced to them uh, with a view uh, to uh, landlords selling them to, to local authorities. And this is the context of Dublin. Much smaller figures all around the country. So what we're saying essentially is um, we will be supporting uh, this, this motion uh, this week uh, to extend the eviction ban. It's very similar to a motion the Labour Party introduced on the 8th of February in the Dáil. Uh, that, by the way, people like Nasa Horrigan mm. and Patrick Cossel from the Green Party uh, didn't uh, support and now they seem mm. to be changing their tune. So what we're, we're proposing now actually is something much more significant than a motion, which even if it was successfully uh, vo- voted on, uh, uh, on on Wednesday night. What we're doing next week is we've written to uh, the Taoiseach. Uh, we've actually produced, gone to the um, gone to the lengths of producing an actual bill asking government to support it, uh, which would um, essentially ask government to put in place a system where we could measure, um, you know, how homelessness was going. So, in other words, we're saying, uh, you know, we know that there can't be a permanent eviction ban. Nobody. Uh, Sinn Féin, Labour or any other parties proposing that there would be, but when the conditions improve and when there are four months successive reductions in homelessness figures, then government could consider uh, uh, um, lifting the ban on evictions. Mm. If they don't support that, we don't believe that we, 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 we believe they should, but if they don't, we're introducing uh, on Wednesday, uh, sorry, on Wednesday week, a motion mm. of confidence in the government if they don't support uh, uh, And will it matter objectively uh, failed on housing? Will it matter if the government was to lose that vote? Because we heard the Taoiseach over the weekend saying that it doesn't really matter if uh, the government loses the vote tomorrow or indeed if there's a second motion uh, on uh, the eviction ban and the government loses a second vote on it because they're non-biding. What what about a, a confidence motion in the government? That's different. That's entirely different. Uh, so the motion of no confidence, um, essentially, uh, what, what happens, it puts it up to government TDs who uh, often speak out of both sides of their mouths and say, well, they're very concerned about the eviction ban and concerned about the housing situation, but it will be put to them next week. Do you have confidence in your own government to address all of the manifest issues, serious issues uh, that are contributing to the housing crisis we have in this country. All of the evidence shows that government are failing uh, in addressing this most serious of social and economic mm. problems. So, if uh, if a, a government is defeated on on a on a on a motion of no, con- or, sorry, yeah, if the, if if the yeah. motion, mm-hmm. of no con- if the if the majority of t- members of the doll say they don't have confidence in the government constitutionally, constitutionally, the government falls. The government falls. Right. Mm. The government cannot. Uh, command uh, support of the majority of the members of the House. That creates then a very serious issue for the government. Uh, they either have to find the numbers to form an alternative government uh, uh, or the President then could grant the dissolution uh, of the doll, uh, and then we would be facing into an election. And we're prepared to do that because the situation is so serious and government have failed so manifestly uh, in relation to their, their you know, obligations mm. to citizens to house people. Very fundamental right in our view and they have yep. abjectly failed. This is the most serious issue that I deal with. In my and you're, willi- you're willing to do that. You're willing to force a, a general election despite what the government is telling you that if you extend this ban, you'll actually make the situation worse. Well, you know, I, I don't um, trust anything that comes out of this government's mouth in relation to housing. I'll tell you why. Uh, and the evidence over the last few months will, 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 will uh, you know, invite us to be very sceptical about their commitment. If they were serious about resolving the problems that renters face, and if they were serious about dealing with this issue, they would have put 
mitigating measures in place over the last few months to deal with the issue when we reached this cliff edge now on the 31st of March. They did not a single thing. They're actually behaving like commentators. It's as if Michael, they didn't have the power to introduce policy changes like ramping up the tenant in situ scheme, you know, like freezing rents over a period of time and like getting uh, more social and affordable homes built. It's as if that they don't have any function in this at all. They're acting as commentators. And this idea that if you extend the ban then it's going to make things worse, it certainly may very well be the case that, that that they would, but it wouldn't be this bad if they had have introduced mitigating measures in the five months that they had to resolve some of the problems that they're only talking about now. They're talking only now uh, about you know introducing in July some measures, for example, mm. that might support small landlords who, who may themselves might find who may uh, you know, find and, them. and tenants being given first refusal or a housing body being able to buy the house uh, and they could continue to live in it uh, uh, on a rental. Why basis. haven't they been working on that over the last few months? And could they do it in the next ten months? Well, they they could. They, they certainly could. Um, but, you know, experience over the last five months has told us to be very, very sceptical of that commitment. OK. Uh, before you leave us, uh, are, are you concerned that we could be facing into uh, another banking collapse? Um, I actually met uh, last week with uh, senior officials in the, uh, in the central bank to discuss a range of different issues. Um, I think we're entering very, very choppy waters. Um, a lot of this feels like 2007, 2008, uh, we saw, you know, a very significant bank uh, essentially fail uh, in the US uh, last week. The exposure, it seems, uh, and we're advised both from Smart Finance and the regulator of the central bank, the exposure of the Irish banking system to issues experienced you know, by the Silicon Valley Bank is, is quite uh, limited. Uh, another issue, though, entirely with Credit Suisse, a very substantial, very significant player in European banking, that's had its problems over the last period of time. That's essentially been bailed out and sold to a competitor for a knockdown price to stabilise the system in Switzerland. Uh, more concerned probably about a... a, a of a, of a European bank that's been part of the banking structure uh, in uh, in Europe for many, many years than I would be about a you know, bank that had limited exposure to tech companies and so on in the US and indeed a small number in Ireland. I think we, we you know, no, no... But is history know, repeating itself? Uh, sure. I mean, we weren't, we, we weren't worried and we're told not to worry when Lehman's collapsed back in 2007, 2008. Well, that's right. That's right. And you know, the truth is, nobody knows. Uh, and anybody who's telling you uh, that they know, uh, I, I think you know, can't, can't be very clear. We just don't know. This is kind of uncharted territory in a way. We do know though that the Irish banks are well capitalised. They have lots of assets on their uh, balance sheets. They have lots of excess money. In fact, sixty-five billion euro excess money given by the Irish banks to the central bank. Uh, of Ireland uh, last year, which is a, a positive. But the truth is that nobody knows. Um, mm. The one thing we do know is that strong regulation is important. And the reason why, one of the fundamental reasons why the bank in California failed was because uh, uh, the, of the deregulation of the banking system in California, which is what, of itself as a state, one of the largest economies uh, in uh, the world. So regulation is absolutely critical. Uh, strong regulation is critical. We need to keep a watching brief on this. Will there be systemic problems for the European banking system? We don't know. Is the Central Bank of Ireland prepared to do that? And is the ECB prepared to actually do everything that's needed to protect the banking system? It seems that they are. Okay. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. That's the Labour Party spokesperson on finance, Jed Nash, who's a TD for Louth and East Meath. Michael Reed on LMFM. Three weeks from now on uh, the 10th of April, the Good Friday uh, Agreement's uh, 25th anniversary will fall. Uh, the Good Friday Agreement uh, is being commemorated in Carrickman Cross at uh, the Shirley Arms Hotel this evening. Uh, and we'll hear a little bit more.
about this now. Local Fianna Fáil councillor PJ O'Hanlon is on the line. A very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, indeed, you'll have one of the architects of uh, the Good Friday Agreement in attendance this evening. Morning, Michael. That's correct. Um, we're having uh, Bertie Hound and Professor Terence Dooley, Professor of History from Minute University, talking about the Good Friday Agreement, the 25, to commemorate the uh, 25 years of it. And um, it's taken place. It's a, it's a non-political event. It's a public event. It's taken place at 7.30 and um, the admission is free. Okay. Um, there is some concern uh, about uh, the stability of politics in Northern Ireland and the collapse of the institutions. It's very unfortunate uh, in terms of celebrating what was uh, the greatest uh, achievement in terms of bringing peace to this island. You're 100% right there. And I would have worked myself for a number of years in the north, in Belfast, and every morning you'd switch on the radio, there was a bombing or there was a shooting. And the sad thing to say is, when you switch on the radio some morning and there wasn't one, you'd wonder, you know, what went wrong? And that was the thinking and the psychic of that time. And to be fair to Bertie Hearn, to Tony Blair, to Clinton and the American administration, and also to politicians in the north of Ireland, people like Jerry Adams, Martin McGuinness, and of course, the greatest politician in my view of all time, John Hume, mm. along with Ian Paisley and that, we ended up with the, the Good Friday Agreement and we certainly don't well, want to go back to those days. Uh, David, David Trimble, probably uh, more to the point, uh, back in 1998, uh, but uh, and George Mitchell, probably worth mentioning as well. But uh, as I say, you'll have uh, one of the architects of uh, that uh, agreement, Bertie Ahern, uh, who together with Tony Blair would have uh, headed up uh, those talks in Carrickmacross at the Shirley Arms at half seven this evening. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a, a lot of interest uh, in this. Uh, is there excitement locally within Fianna Fáil uh, at Mr Ahern's attendance? Absolutely. They, you know, were delighted to have somebody of his stature that played such an integral role in the agreement coming to coming to the Shirley Arms. But we're making this very clear. This is specifically about the Good Friday Agreement. This is about nothing else. Simple as that. And the great response that we're finding is from younger people who are actually now studying history. And um, I've no doubt there would be a very big interest in it and a large attendance in the Shirley Arms tonight. Okay. Uh, no mention of the presidency. And uh, I take it uh, that you'd fall into the 7% of voters who would definitely vote for Bertie O'Hearn to become president. Uh, that's based on a, a, an Irish Times poll, which also found that 51% of voters definitely would not. Well, I'll be honest with you, Michael. We have a couple of things going on at Carrick in the minute. We have a serious issue going on in relation to the N2. We have an issue going on. I was here with Newmore Hotel, one of the biggest economic drivers in the town. Mm. I don't mean to be disrespectful about the president's election. I haven't spoken to Bertie Ahern. I don't even know when it's on. They might think that's very sad. But it's not top of my bucket list at the minute now, let me tell you. Okay, fair enough. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the normal review, Will, because uh, SIP2 
have uh, called uh, for a liquidator to be uh, appointed. Correct. And um, we had an emergency meeting over the Carrick and Cross Casablini Municipal District last Friday. And we passed the motion that the local MD would take responsibility um, to make sure that the Newmore Hotel was made safe from vandalism and fire. As we were all aware, a letter was sent out to all the employees that um, there was emergency works taking place from the 1st of January for a 12-week period. Today is the 20th of March, and all that's happened in the last couple of weeks is that the hotel has been broken into on a couple of occasions. So the reason I took the motion forward was we don't want in Carrick and Cross to end up with what happened with the Hope Castle and Blaney, where millions of euros of taxpayers' money had to be spent to try and restore that iconic building. And we certainly don't want to see that happening in Carrick with Newmore. All right, uh, and do you support SIPTU? SIPTU in a statement says that it's clear to the trade union uh, that uh, the Normore is not going to open again under the current management. Well, do I support it? Absolutely. The reason I support it is because of the facts that we're dealing with. If you look at the sign that's up on the front of the hotel, the renovation of works is taking place on the 1st of January to be completed by the end of this month and nothing has happened, well then that message doesn't really say much about the proposed works that are supposed to take place because nothing has happened. All that's happened is the hotel has been broken into on a couple of occasions. Mm. And people are going without getting paid uh, for over two months at this stage. Correct. And from what I've been what I have been told and I'm not 100% sure, but I think people might have now been paid. But that type of behaviour, working and waiting for your money for three months and then being told that you were coming back to work in three months' time in no job, that's no way to treat any person that's working. And there are a number of people out there who've been working for years and years in the hotel. I think it's an absolute disgrace the way they've been treated. And then um, Northern Ireland 2023, that shouldn't be allowed. Uh, okay, and um, what about the sale of uh, the hotel's movable assets uh, associated with the golf course and the leisure centre? Uh, where will that money end up? Well, what we're looking for as well in relation to it, in relation to the council, that there's rates all on it as well. So I would presume and I would hope that that where that money is uh, is accumulated, that that would be then given out to people that have been left short change with this whole thing. But the most important thing of all, regardless of that money, we need, whether we like it or whether we don't, we need political intervention in relation to this because we don't want to see anything else with that hotel other than if we're turning, hopefully, hopefully to its, its far more glory because Newmore Hotel has been very, very good to Carrick over the last 40, 50 years. We had one of the greatest employers ever in this town, Bowles, unfortunately, who are not there now. But they were here for 40 years. Mm. And they were one of the biggest paymasters in the town for 40 years. 
And we benefited greatly from that. And we would never have had that to hotel. Or we would never have had that in Plaga only for Newmore Hotel. So we need Newmore back and we need it back badly because Newmore is like the main street. It's very much an integral part of the town. And it's the big, one of the biggest economic drivers we have in the town. So our concern really is getting Newmore back to helping us in the town and vice versa in developing the town and bringing it forward. Okay, I'm sure that's what everybody wishes for. When I was asking you about the presidency, you said that Normore was one of your top concerns, but also the N2, which was scheduled to, to be upgraded, uh, and €15 million Euro has been spent on, on this project uh, as yet. What's the status of that now? The status of the project is, it's been officially announced that the road from RD from the motorway up to Castlevania is stopped due to lack of funding. This started back in 2018. And when you're talking about the 15 million, that also includes the Clontibra to the Border Project. We've land sterilised down there on that end of the project for 18 years. And what we did was, not we did, but what Jacobs did, the company employed by the Mullen County Council on behalf of the TII started this project in 2018 have done different plans got as far as stage 2 now into stage 3 we've told people in some instances that the house is going to be knocked down we've told other people that while they're looking to explain your house no that won't be happening because this is going to be close to that and after we tell them all this news we turned around then and the project stopped. I'm dealing directly with people who have serious illnesses and who are getting very, very, finding it very difficult to cope with this. And I think it's an absolutely shameful, disgraceful way to be treating people. Telling them six months ago, or not six months, a couple of months ago, this is the route. This is the way it's going forward. And then, six weeks after that, and we'll buy the way now, we don't have funding at the moment. Thank you very much for your cooperation. But when we do get funding, we'll come back to you and then we'll proceed. That is no way, no way to be dealing with people. And if we're looking to cause hassle and looking to cause anxiety, well, in fairness to the TII, yeah. But definitely going the right way about it. Yeah. Well, I, I take it nobody understands what that means. Well, the position where it is, what it means is there's no funding. Hmm. Like but there may be funding that. available at some stage, and as you said, they may come back and knock on your door and uh, wish to knock it down at that stage. Uh, but whether... <laughs> uh, there's anyone who can make any sense of that in terms of planning for the future, I'm not sure. But that's the problem. Look, if you're going to build a house, I never heard of anyone building a house and deciding that halfway through when they had the plans built. Well, I'm only half of the plans done here, but only leave it now for another couple of years and then I'll decide whether I'm going to come back or not. This is, prob- this is one of the problems with central government in relation to these projects. They're done on a yearly basis. And unfortunately, 
For example, in relation to the contributor to the Barber scheme, there's been environmental reports now done on two or three different occasions. The same thing is going to happen here. And what does that mean? That means we're doing the same job twice or three times, costing millions of pounds, and who's paying for it? Taxpayer. Okay. Well, we're all paying for it, obviously. PJ, uh, leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, That's uh, Fianna Fáil councillor on Monaghan County Council, PJ O'Hanlon. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, it seems as though you can buy a lot of things on the black market. You may be surprised at how much coal is being sold on the black market. So much so, in fact, that the solid fuel merchants of Ireland are calling on the government to work alongside local authorities, the revenue commissioners and on Garda Síochána to clamp down on black market sales of coal and indeed other solid fuels for that matter. Let's speak to Peter Madden, who's a commission member with SFMI. And a very good morning to you, Peter, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. Maybe you'd outline to us uh, the scale of the problem. Good morning, Michael. Well, Michael, um, the scale of the problem is is, uh, based on figures going back to maybe um, October of 21, uh, where it was estimated there was 56 million euros worth of coal being being sold in the black market with a loss of possibly uh, 16 million euro to the exchequer. Um, since the new regulations and the smoky coal ban, um, we, we we estimate that, that that figure has greatly increased uh, to a loss to the exchequer and to a great loss to the local um, local fuel merchants on the ground, local legitimate businesses that are working every day trying to just make a living. Right, that's quite shocking uh, in itself, but you believe that it's even greater than that 56 million euro worth of coal uh, that uh, was estimated in 2021. Where is it coming from? Well, it's coming across the border. It's been sold online. Um, It's been sold door to door by unscrupulous um, um, sellers. Um, There's no regulation on it. And uh, there's a vast difference in the price because legitimate merchants here in the Republic are being um, have to pay carbon tax and VAT on all their products and that, that is not applied with, with, with these uh, online sales. Right. Uh, and I take it that uh, on some occasions it's smoky fuel as well? Yes. Yes. Right. So we've a number of problems all in one. How much cheaper is it when you take away the carbon tax and the other taxes that are charged in this country to buy coal and other solid fuels in Northern Ireland than it is here? Well, it could vary anything between six and ten euros a bag, depending on on the type of product that you're buying. So um, basically, back last October, um, fuel merchants around the country started talking to one another. We we held a meeting in Port Leash, where it was attended by 35 businesses um, that got together to, to form a group to highlight their concerns. And we formed Solid Fuel Merchants Ireland, and we have currently 50 members around the Republic, and we're trying to get our message out there that we're, we're an existing uh, organisation, that we're there to try and get help from the government uh, lobby that we have some support in regards to enforcement and where our industry is going, highlight the challenges mm. in our industry and 
it's it's been difficult to get to everybody, so we appreciate the, the opportunity to highlight our issues up there in the northeast. And if there's any legitimate uh, coal merchants that want to come on board, they can find us at uh, s s m i dot i e son of merchants ireland dot i e. Okay, sfmi.ie. It's understandable, I suppose, given the cost of living crisis in particular and how people are struggling to make ends meet, that they'd be drawn into look at a bargain like this if you're saving ten euro on a bag of coal. It's a lot of, of money course, for a yes. lot of people. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. would fully agree uh, with that. I mean, it is a huge challenge with the, with the cost of living crisis, the energy crisis, and everything else. Yeah. Um, Where's the solution, though? Is the solution clamping down on the people who are smuggling into uh, this market? Because obviously there's a big market for this coal if they're able to sell so much of it to people who are struggling to make ends meet. Or is it to level the playing field and to do away with some of these taxes, do you think? Yes. Well, that's you mentioned it there. It's exactly what we're looking for, is a level playing field. Um, where where enforcement is, is um, applicable, it needs to be done. Where the information needs to be brought out there about those illegal products, it needs to be done, um, and just level the playing field. There's huge challenges in the industry. So, I mean, these are legitimate family businesses that are under threat. They are under severe pressure here in the public. Um, it's very, very difficult to compete. Uh, we know businesses that are estimating that their 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 losses fifty to sixty percent in business. So, mm. it's a huge challenge. Uh, is it being policed? Uh, I mean, if it's being advertised on, on the internet, uh, surely uh, detection is relatively simple. We don't think it's being policed. Um, the evidence, the, we have no evidence to say that it's been policed. Um, we see it at our doorstep. The, the footfall is down, our business is down. So, um, it's there in the figures. The, the, the evidence is there that we're being affected financially. Okay. Well, as you say, it's obviously uh, something that's costing your members uh, and probably costing all of us, uh, for that matter, uh, not just terms in uh, the impact on the environment uh, because of smoke and coal being burnt, but the loss of revenue to the exchequer. That's another aspect of it as well. I mean, we want to work hand in hand with, with authorities. We're not climate deniers by any, in any means. We want to work with the authorities to clean up the air quality, um, improve air quality for everybody. But, I mean, you have smoky coal, you have high sulfur ovides on the market um, that are not being policed, not regulated. So, yeah, we're, we're there to, to, to work and cooperate with everybody. Okay, Peter, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme today. Peter Madden is a commission member with Solid Fuel Merchants Ireland. That's SFMI. And as he says, you can contact them through sfmi.ie. Now, before we leave you today, I think uh, we'll hear a little bit more from the St. Patrick's Day celebrations in Washington uh, and indeed from the American President Joe Biden. And in this, these rooms, we see the dreams of one Irish builder made real. When George Washington chose James Hoban to design the White House, the young architect had his credentials, had his credential, a silver medal from the Dublin Society. And around the outside of that medal inscribed in Latin was the phrase, our work bears fruit. It's a statement of faith. It's a statement of faith and a statement of determination 
a statement of possibility and promise. And Tishuk standing with you today, it captures pretty well all, all of our nations, all that our nation and our people have achieved. Together, Ireland and America have written ourselves a better future. The United States has benefited greatly from waves of immigration from the Ireland, the Ireland of Ireland, who helped uh, shape this nation. The Scottish-Irish of the 18th century, the Irish who came during the 19th century, century like my ancestors during the famine and beyond, and uh, through the bravery in their blood, the honest sweat of their brow, and the steadfast hearts, their work has borne centuries of fruit. And their values have been passed down generation to generation around countless Irish-American dinner tables, just like the one I grew up in. You know, my, and many times as I hear my dad say, Joey, everyone's your equal. Everyone's your equal, but nobody's better than you. Everyone's your equal, nobody's better than you. And Joey, everyone's entitled to be treated with dignity. It's a favorite word. I think the word is used by the Irish more than almost any other word, dignity. And Joey, as long as you're alive, you have an obligation to strive. And you're not dead till you've seen the face of God. Never give up. Growing up Irish-American gave me the pride that spoke to both sides of the Atlantic, heart and soul that drew from the old and the new. My great-grandfather, Edward Francis Blewett, was one of the, I think he's only the second Irish Catholic ever elected to the state Senate in, the, in uh, Pennsylvania, the time when not many Catholics were elected to office. He had an engineering degree from Lafayette College and the heart of an Irish poet. In 1919, in one of over 100 poems that I found when my mom passed away in her treasures, he wrote about his Ireland. In one stanza, he wrote the following. From the fairest land except my own, neath sun and star and moon, the citadel of liberty, my mother's land of ruin. Today, around the world, Ireland and the United States continue to stand shoulder to shoulder to defend those core values that make up the essential character of each of our nations. We're standing together to support the brave people of Ukraine as they defend their democracy against Russia's brutal invasion. And we're standing tight. I want to thank you for that. I want to thank, particularly thank the Taoiseach for the generosity of the people of Ireland welcoming refugees fleeing violence in Ukraine. We're holding Russia accountable for its aggression and for its war crimes and crimes against humanity that Russia is committing as I speak in Ukraine. We're also working together to take on issues that are going to shape the kind of world in which our children will live. We're tracking the climate crisis. We're tackling it. We're strengthening the global health and promoting food security. And together, we seek a world that's safer, more prosperous, and more peaceful for people everywhere. This year, we'll, ce we'll celebrate a momentous achievement in our shared history, the hard, hard work of forging the Good Friday Agreement and I want to thank the folks that are here as well for participating in that. All right. And uh, the president will be in Ireland around the 17th, 18th of April. Good Friday Agreement, 25th anniversary on the 10th. That's our programme for today. Uh, Chris Murray was in the control tower. Maggie McGuire Research. I'm Michael Godwin. And we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie.